Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Um, I can't really see out there because it's dark and because I don't have my glasses on. But um, if you're new, my name is Jeff. Uh, welcome to Oak City Church. I'm not normally up here with a guitar. Let me explain that for a second. I, I had a sabbatical this summer, and I picked up my guitar again because that's what pastors do on sabbaticals is stuff like picking up guitars. And I had, um, I think I had said enough times, hey, if you've, you know, we're down a few folks on the worship team, and so if you've done this before, we need your help, and then I was like, okay, you've done this before, um, and uh, the people that are up here week by week are some of my favorite people in the world that always looks like they're having fun, and this was a lot of fun, and Kelly was a piano major at Meredith, and she plays the guitar most weeks, but she crushes that piano, right, and um, so I was happy to, to get her up here. Um, a few announcements. Um, right after church today, um, we have uh, one of our Caring for Troubled Hearts workshops. This is um, focusing on how to be assertive without being a jerk, with also being Christ-like is the language that they used about it. But I'll say assertive without being a jerk, which is important. And so um, we'd love for you to stay after that uh, service for that. Next Sunday night, we are having our fall birthday and business meeting. If you've never been to one of those, we're going to have a potluck. I think it's 5 to 7, and 5 to 6 we'll eat, and 6 to 7 we'll talk. Um, The business of the church is to make disciples, so at our business meetings we spend a good bit of time just talking about what God's been doing in our lives, and so you got to think about what God's been doing in your lives. That is always start slow and then gets good, and then we got to cut it off and talk a little bit about business at the end. So um, we would love for you to do It's just a great time for us as a church to hang out as a family, share a meal together, and spend some time really worshiping by talking about the good things that God has done. And so that's going to be next um, Sunday night. And then the following Monday, so not tomorrow night, but the next Monday, we're going to have our next cultural engagement forum. And we're going to be, I mean, these, these things, we're talking about the tough issues in our culture and how we um, talk about them as Christians and how to think about them in a biblically confident, not apologetic, not obnoxious way. And so this week we're talking about um, the topic of abortion or in, in a week and a week and a half, week and a day. And so we would love to have you join us for that. All right. Today, um, to read our passage, we have Leanne. Give it up for Leanne. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to to him, 
so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as his righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam dro <clears throat> Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that, that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. So if you guys don't know Leanne, you should. She's pretty amazing, and she also does uh, voiceovers professionally. And I figured since you're going to hear from me the next couple hours, I'm just kidding, it'll be about two hours. Uh, it won't, I promise. But uh, there's also some really hard words, so it was a great excuse for me to have Leanne read, because she's a professional at that. So thanks again, Leanne. Hey, we, we're in our series, uh, Presence, What Happens When God Shows Up. So I want to give a quick recap of the past three weeks. So week number one, Jeff looked at creation. And in it, he said, we are made for God's presence, and it's the only thing that will totally fulfill us. Then week two, from Cain and Abel, Jeff said that as we, as we pull away from God, we naturally will pull away from one another. And as he mentioned just a little bit while ago, uh, week three was Noah and the flood. And Jeff talked us through what happens when God leaves us with our sins. And he left us with the question of, are we any different from then to the day? So that brings us to week, week four, and we're going to look at Abraham. Uh, in the passage, you heard the name Abram. Uh, God later changed his name from Abram to Abraham. I personally love the name Abraham because my second son was named Abraham. My wife likes to call him Abram. We won't talk through that anyway. Um, but the great story about Abraham is we get to see how God starts to execute his plan of salvation through Abraham. So that's what we're going to talk through today in a bit. So I want to ask you guys a quick show of hands. Who here has ever made a promise? Show your hands, please. Most of us should have made a promise. For those that don't, we'll talk to you later. Um, I remember as a kid making promises like, hey, I'm going to be a good listener. I'm going to obey my parents. That did not always happen. I'm not going to talk about that today either. But we make promises all the time. Uh, John Fisher reminded me that we make promises for cheering for sports teams. My dad, being from Long Island, New York, said, in our house, we would cheer for the Yankees, for Major League Baseball. He says, the Mets, they're confused New Yorkers. They don't know any better. 
And, and he said we would strongly dislike, no hate, but dislike the Boston Red Sox. So I may have promised to never cheer for Boston, and if they never won a game again, I'd be okay. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about that. I mean, we have other examples of promises, right? Uh, wedding vows. And I'll, I'll share a story later today from how I made pr a promise to my wife, but before that, just the anticipation of, of a wedding. So I want to ask you another question. Here, who is, who's broken a promise before? Yeah, most of our hands should go up. Uh, has anyone ever had someone break a promise that they made to you? I think we all can relate to that. How did that make you feel? And you don't have to answer that. I want you to think about how did that make you feel? Did you have some doubts about that person? Did you lose maybe some trust? Maybe some disappointment? You're not who, they were not who you thought they were? So as you think about that, uh, again, we're, we're going to talk through Abram or Abraham. All right? When I mean, first introduced him in Genesis chapter 12, he is 75 years old. And if we were to turn to Genesis chapter 12, I just want to read the first three verses, and it will be on the screen for you as well. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here's the part where we start to see God's plan of salvation through Abram. It says this, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is God's plan of salvation through Abram. So I know some of you are like, hey, we read that passage, or Leanne read that passage about those animals being cut in half. I promise we'll get there. But what I want to do, I want to lay out my three main points first to you. Number one, God understands that we will all have doubts. We're going to have doubts about him, doubts about ourselves, lots of doubts. God understands that, and he's patient with us. So that's our first point, that God understands we'll have doubts. Number two, when we have doubts, God leans into us and to into our doubts. He doesn't leave us there. He leans into us. He desires to lean into us. And my third and final point today would be that God is faithful despite our doubts and despite ourselves. So with that, I want to pray real quick. Hey, God, this is your word. I pray that you would silence me, that you would speak, that you would be glorified, that you, would, you know what we need to hear, God, that you would speak through your word, through the Holy Spirit that is here, that you would get the glory and the credit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as I said, we're going to start with God understands that we're going to have doubts. So as I said, we meet this 75-year-old man who God has told him to leave his country and go to the place where God wants him to go. So he takes his wife, Sarai, and a spoiler alert, her name later is changed from Sarai to Sarah, just like his is from Abram to Abraham. And he takes his nephew, Lot. And God tells him he's going to make him a great nation, that his names be well known. Seems pretty good. Now, the Bible doesn't say especially, but I would, if I was Abraham, I would have some doubts. So, just real fast, high-level summaries. Chapter 13, Abraham and Lot, their families have grown, they have sheep, so they decide to split. So Abraham goes one way and Lot goes the other. Abraham has another encounter of God, and God makes the promise again, reconfirms it. And then in chapter 14, Abraham hears that Lot is in trouble, so Abraham takes 300-plus men. He goes and he, cap he saves, rescues Lot. He saves him. And that's where we're going to pick it up in chapter 15, where Abraham is afraid of the revenge that's going to come to him. He just saved Lot. So he's worried of this revenge. So when we read verse 1, it says this, After these things, so after the rescue of Lot, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. 
I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So this is his third encounter with God. Pretty amazing. God saying, I am your shield, and you will be great. But now we get to see some honesty from Abraham. And I love that this is in the Bible, that, they don't, that God did not hide this. So we see here in verse 2, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. He has some doubts, some, some, some concerns. And I think that's fair. He's like, hey, God, how do I trust you? You said that I'm going to be a great name, a great nation. I don't even have a kid yet. That was when he was 75. Now it's roughly 10 years later, and he still is childless. And here's what I love. As we look, read verses 6 through 7, or excuse me, 4 through 7, we're going to see God doesn't say, hey, you idiot. God says this. He says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look upon the heaven and number the stars if you can. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And, and check out Abraham's response. And it says this, And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then he said, this is God saying, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. God is patient with his doubts. This past week, as I was putting this together, I realized how much my three kids like to ask questions. They're young, so they ask a lot of questions. And I'm okay with questions generally, but then when they start asking questions about me, like they doubt me, like, are you really going to do that? Can you do this? Are you sure you can do that? How do I know you're going to do it? How do I know you're going to follow through? It bothers me. I want to yell at them. Um, and then I started thinking, man, what about work? So when I'm at work, I don't like when people are like, hey, Dan, are you sure you know what you're doing? I want them to be like, hey, he's confident. He's good at his job. So I don't like when people doubt me. Yet we see God being gentle, being patient. And I, I'm glad that's in the Bible, right? So we see Abraham has doubts. He's like, God, I don't know if I can trust you. Now we go to verse 8, and it kind of changes. And, and I've read some different Bible scholars that truly believe that now Abraham is saying that he has doubts about himself. And this is what he says. But he said, so Abraham says, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So he still has doubts about God, but he has some doubts about himself. And I think part of that is because he knows himself. And times that I have doubts, I'm like, oh yeah, I probably should have some doubts about myself. So I want to pause here and talk a little bit about doubt. And I think, I remember a story when I was in middle school. Uh, during Sunday school, a teacher said to me at church, hey, if you have questions about the Bible or about Jesus, if you don't, if you have doubts, it just means you don't have enough faith. Fortunately, my parents, I told them that, spoke some truth into that and said, no, no, you can have questions. You shouldn't have questions. You don't know, have to know everything. And if you know Jeff, he often says, hey, if you have doubts, his are bigger, because Jeff does this for a living. He studies, right? He comes to prepare to teach, and Jeff overthinks a lot. Um, I know he's laughing because it's true. It's a good thing, right? Um, and I appreciate that Jeff does. But it's okay to have doubts. And, and I say that because I think the spectrum of traditional Christianity was you never had any doubts. And then the opposite spectrum was society saying you should have doubts. 
If you take anything with blind faith, you're an idiot. Society would say it's almost a badge of honor, a virtue, to have doubts. So you see these two spectrums. So as I was studying this, I was like, i got to find a, a good book. Or I was looking up articles and TED Talks. There is so much on doubt and self-doubt and how it's okay to have doubts. And all of it was about feeling good in the end. And I found this great quote by Tim Keller that really spoke. And it says this, A faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. And he goes on, he says, a person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after a long reflection. There's a couple of things I like about this quote. The first is this is he acknowledges that we should ask questions, that we don't have to have it all figured out. And as Christians, we should be the first to admit that we don't know it all. We should say it's okay. We don't, but we trust that God does. The second thing about this is, uh, Ken reminded me this week, is that the world we live in is not the way it should be. We have doubts because the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Our desire as a church is that we grow into mature Christians. Our desire is that we move from doubt to faith. So I told you in the beginning I was going to mention marriage a bit. So in my life, I always kind of had an idea what I wanted to do, and I planned a lot of things out. I'm a planner. And I thought by the age of 25, I would be married. I thought maybe I'd meet someone in college right after, and I would be married. Well, 25 comes and goes. 26 comes and goes. 27, 28, I still wasn't married. And I remember in the beginning after college, I was spending a lot of time praying about marriage and then, hey God, like, I know that I need to trust you in this. And then I kind of stopped. I still prayed, just not as much as I should, should have. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I was like, hey, you know what, God, you may have a plan, but I'm going to go ahead and make sure that you like my plan, so I'll work it out and you can just agree with me. And I'll share some more of that story in a little bit, because I think it helps lean into the second point of when we have doubts, God leans into us. He leans into our doubts. He doesn't leave us there. So I asked my home group this past week, hey, when do you have doubts? And I asked them, what do you do when you have those doubts? And I really appreciate my home group being honest. And it was a small group that night, and they said often their doubts come when they're faced with difficulty. Thinking back to that quote from Tim Keller, when they face tragedy. Uh, and I asked him, I said, so what do you do? And very honestly, they said, we get angry. We say, God, why me or why again? And I appreciated hearing this from my home group. And I think it's okay. I, I, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that you and I should have doubts. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we should be able to ask questions. We should say, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you. We and we should be able to share our doubts with one another. But if you're like me, I want to fix them. And I want to fix them quickly. Right, so the fact that Abraham is roughly 10 years since his first encounter with God, and he still doesn't have a kid. He's had three encounters at this point. Genesis 12, Genesis 13, and now Genesis 15. And he's like, hey God, I don't have a kid. You promised to make me a great nation. Now you promised me that the stars will be the number of my descendants. And I love that. Again, this is in the Bible. So, again, Abraham is saying, God, I have doubts about you, and I have doubts about me. 
And look what God does. And God basically says, I know, and I got it. He says, and he said to him, so God says, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. All right. If you're like me, you're probably like, what is going on here? We're going to explain this. Uh, I did try to find a picture of this. Fortunately, there's no pictures of animals cut in half and lined up, so I'll spare you that. But I'm a visual person, so I was hoping to find something not graphic. I I didn't. Um, So back in this time, time of Abraham, when you would enter a contract, a covenant, you had, they didn't have writing, right? So you and I would, you want to buy a house, you sign your papers. You put your name on there. That's your covenant. That's your signing, right? They would act it out. You perform a ceremony. So what God is saying is God's like, hey, I know you have doubts about you and me, but I got this. So he tells him to go get these animals, and Abraham knows exactly what God is doing here. And and if you can picture it, so he takes these animals and you, he lays them basically like an alley, a path. And the reason they do this is as you would seal the covenant, you would say, I am entering this contract with you. And, I, and Abraham, by cutting those animals in half and laying them, they are saying, may this happen to me if I break the covenant. So there's some really cool stuff, and Ken sent me some really good stuff, so I'm going to give credit to Ken here on this. There's a thing called a suzerain and a vassal covenant. So some really big words. So suzerain, and I had Google, by the way, lets you pronounce and you can speak it and tells you how good or bad you are, so I'm probably off still. Uh, Please don't judge me. Basically, a suzerain is a one that is greater, and the vassal is someone that's less. So if you have two parties that are equal, right? So if it's a peer, we cut these animals, and this time you cut the animals in half, you make your aisle, and you walk through them, sealing the covenant, saying, may this happen to one of us if we break our end of the deal. So if we pause there real quick, Abraham has doubts. He has doubts. Him walking through the seal, the sign of this covenant, is not going to help his doubts. And here's, the, here's a, an amazing part in, in the Bible. In Jeremiah 34, 18, this is God speaking. He says this, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. So this, this is a big deal. This covenant, by doing it, hey, you are in agreement with me. May this happen to you. So Abraham has some doubts. He's had some experiences with God and still hasn't seen any results yet. So if we think about it, right, this is, again, this is his third encounter. Chapters 12, chapter 13, and now again 15. And what I love is that Abraham goes to God with his doubts. The creator of the world hears Abraham say, hey, God, I have some doubts about you. I have some doubts about myself. How are you going to prove me wrong? And I think, as I mentioned in that story of marriage and wanting to be married, I started off often with prayer. Like, hey, God, I, I want to be married. I didn't want to obsess over it, but I wanted to be married. I wanted to trust God in that. And so I think it's a really good plug is that as we have doubts, who do we go to? Do we share them with people? And to make a plug for home groups, uh, our definition of a home group is a, people, a group of people committed to each other's spiritual growth. And in it, we have some outputs. We want you to be like Christ. We want you to grow in your understanding of the Bible. We want you to grow in your discipleship. We want you to have community, but Christian fellowship and community. So if you're not in a home group, I'd love for you to be in a home group because uh, I'd love to talk to you. You can email me, dan at Oak City. 
they are such an amazing opportunity for you to have relationships with people, to share your doubts, to share your questions, to have people encourage you, to have people pray with you, to have people say, hey, I want to challenge those doubts, those questions, but with grace and love. So if you're not in a home group, it's a great opportunity. And I just want to say, if you have doubts, God knows that. And God's got it. He, he wants to pursue you. He wants to acknowledge your doubts. And I heard this great, great quote from a pastor says, we should be gentle with those who doubt, but not accepting that's a place to live forever. We should be gentle with those that have doubts, but never accepting that's a place to live forever. And I know I, you probably think I haven't fully filled that second point, how God's going to lean into us. It's going to segue right into my third point, though, is that God is faithful despite our doubts and our failures. And these two points really have to go together. So let me just bear with me. So we're going to turn back to Genesis 15 in verse 12. So in verse 11, you see Abraham's chasing away the vultures, the birds. He is, he is waiting for God to show up. A lot of scholars say it's day, he's waiting and he's waiting. It's all day. So now in verse 12, it says this, As the sun was going down, so the end of the day, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And I don't think, some people say this, he's being tired. I think this is God. And here's some really cool language. It says this, it says, And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. That dreadful and great darkness is the same language that's used in Mark 15 when Jesus is on the cross. So you can see God doing some foreshadowing here. And then, we pick it up, verses 13 through 18 says this, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain, he's, he's squashing out any doubts, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there and will be afflicted for 400 years. So this is the Israelites in Egypt, right? God is saying this is what's going to happen to them. They will be your descendants. But I will bring judgment on the nation, the nation of Egypt, that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So again, we're seeing God's plan filled. And here is probably the, one of the most remarkable parts of the Bible in this aspect. So when the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. So you have this, basically this lane, this alley of these animals and the blood sacrifice and God as a torch, as a flame, passes through them. God seals the covenant. Verse 18 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land to the river of Egypt, to the great river, the river of Euphrates, and so on. God makes covenant. He seals the promise. And what's so amazing about this is that God knew that Abraham would fail. Quick spoiler, in, in chapter 16, Abraham sleeps with his, servant's, his wife's servant and has a kid. He takes matters in his own hands. But God, being the great God that he is, and humble and patient and loving God, walks through those animals. He says, if I, God, break my promise, may this happen to me. But if Abraham or his descendants break it, may that happen to me. Let me just say, there is no other religion that has a God humble themselves and sacrifice their life. No other religion does that. 
No other religion makes that claim. And the fact that God knew that Abraham would mess up. He knew that the descendants of Abraham would mess up. That the Israelites would come out of Egypt. They would see these miracles and they would still question God. They would still doubt God. God sealed the covenant knowing this. What I find so amazing is that God sealed the covenant with the blood of Jesus. He said, may this happen to me, and this happened to Jesus on the cross. But God knew the only way to fulfill the covenant, the promise, was that he would have to take it on himself. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn God's approval. There's nothing that you and I can do to keep our promise to God. And what's amazing is that God is faithful even when we're not. God humbled himself and walks through this, saying, Abraham, there's nothing you can do. I got it. We have a God that wants to take our doubts to turn them into faith. So as I said earlier, that the story of marriage, I want to kind of ref- refer back to that. So in 2011, I had an opportunity to go to Haiti um, and do a mission trip. And I fell in love with Haiti, the country. Uh, I fell in love with it. And I, it was amazing. I went back a couple times. And then in October of 2012, I was offered to go full-time and move to Haiti and be on staff. And I said, man, this is awesome, God. I'm going to Haiti. God, send me. And the more I prayed about it, the more I, didn't, I never had a peace. And I remember wrestling with God in prayer, and I finally said, oh, okay, God, I haven't given you everything. I'm 28. I wanted to be married. I'm not. There's parts of my life I was still refereeing soccer professionally. I thought I had a lot of things figured out. I said, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. And that was in October of 2012. I remember I felt this relief come over me. I felt the presence of God. I was saying, all right, God, I have doubts. I could feel God leaning into me. And I was reminded that God was faithful, even, even though the fact that I had not been. And what's really amazing is December of 2012, the end of December, is when I met my wife. And it, I think, it, I look back on times, I thought, oh, I just needed to grow up, I needed to be older. I needed God to work in me. I needed God to humble me so I was willing to trust him. And despite the mistakes of how I took things in my own hand and how I tried to date a lot, God still was faithful. He leaned into me. He pursued me. In Hebrews chapter 6, it mentions through Abraham, and in the passage of Hebrews 6, it talks about how through Abraham, we have an anchor that will not be broken. And I ask us, what is our anchor? When we have doubts, what do we, what do we go to? Is it ourselves? Is it our identity, our job, our finances? What is our anchor in? When tragedy strikes, what do we, what do we go to? Our hope should be anchored in what Jesus has done for us, not what we've done for Jesus. Because of God's unchanging character and what Jesus has done on our behalf, we have a strong anchor of hope. We have a God that will lean into our doubts, that will reveal himself to us, that desires to know you. He knows the number of hairs on our head. So there's a passage in in Romans, Romans chapter 4. We'll have it on the screen for you. It says this, first in verse 13. It says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring 
that he should be the heir of the world, would not come through the law. So it would not come through works, but it comes through the righteousness of faith. We jump down to verse 16, it says this, and this is why it depends on faith in order the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It goes on, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations as he'd been told. So shall your offspring bring. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. And here's the verse I want us to grab onto today. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Here it is. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Church, hear this. But for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The words are in there for us to have hope, that we may have an anchor in who Christ is and what he has done for us. And what I love is that Abraham grew strong. For those that don't know, when, Ab- when God first approached Abraham, he was 75 years old. To the time he became a father of his son Isaac, it was 25 years 25 years for to see the story play out. God's timing is not like our timing. I don't always like God's timing, but when I sit back and reflect, I'm like, oh, God, your timing is better than mine. I would have messed, made a mistake of that, a bigger mess. And we see that God is faithful. And there are promises. Think about the promises that we have of God, that he'll never leave us. That through Jesus, we can have a perfect presence. That he'll never forsake us. There's not a promise that we're going to have lots of money or nice houses or cars. God doesn't promise that. But God promises that we will be with him. That he seeks us in a relationship. This promise of hope. That as we face tragedy, we face trials, he's with us. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would love to talk with you. So would Jeff. There's others. We would love for you to know that God desires you. It's okay that you have questions, that you're unsure of things, but God wants to know you by name. He wants to call you his son and daughter. What's amazing is in a couple of minutes we're going to take communion where we, the bread is the body of Christ and the blood is the, the juice represents the blood, the body and the blood of Christ that's on our behalf, Jesus fulfilling the covenant. And what an amazing opportunity for us to really experience God's presence as we reflect on what he's done for us. Not what we've done, but what he has done for us. So the band's going to come back up, and they're going to sing the song Promises. What's really cool about the song is uh, on Thursday, my kids, we have a like an Amazon playlist, and my kids put this song on, 
And I was like, oh, that goes so well with the passage. And I went in the planning center and saw that Kelly and the band had already picked out the song. And so I want to read a little bit of the words for you real quick. Because so often I think we sing songs without reflecting on the words. It says this, God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and of faithful promises time and time again. You have proven, proven that you'll do just what you said. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I will remain steadfast. And I'll let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. My prayer this morning is that we would set our eyes on Jesus. The author of creator of life, the one that has always kept his promise. As in the beginning, when I asked you to raise your hand, who's told a promise and who's broken a promise, almost every hand went up. Jesus has never broken his promise. He's fulfilled every single one. Our hope is in that. That though we face trials and tribulations, though that we, there's unknown, God's timing is good and he desires the best for us. And that best is to be in his presence. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can see that you choose people that are not perfect like Abraham that you use broken people like us to make your name known. And Jesus, that you are always faithful, that your promises to us always come true, that your word is not void. God, I just pray as a church that we would grow in our doubts and that they would turn to faith. As we ask questions, that we would show grace and speak truth to one another and to the world that is looking for an anchor. Jesus, we have the anchor that is you time of worship for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.